and gentlemen, a partisan hometown crowd for CM Partisan. Are you kidding me? The only thing that I can compare this feeling to is that the Chicago Bears were in the Super Bowl and the Super Bowl were here in Chicago. That's what, that's what this feels like. CM Punk in front of his hometown followers. This is what John Cena is going to have to try to overcome. Well, in Chicago, he's being treated as a hero. In other places, CM Punk has been called a rebel, an anarchist, a demagogue, or simply a traitor. People have called him selfish and jealous and delusional. The one thing we do know, Jerry, is that earlier tonight, Mr. McMahon told us that CM Punk has refused to sign the latest contract offer to stay in WWE. At midnight tonight, CM Punk is leaving this company, and he may be doing it with the WWE title. Ladies and gentlemen, July 17th, 2011, a day which will live in infamy. We're going back in time. We're looking at John Cena versus CM Punk for Money in the Bank 2011, the 10-year anniversary this month. In fact, we're almost exactly on the 10-year anniversary as you listen to this podcast. We thought this was a good time to go and, and do one of our retrospective shows. We've done a couple of these in the past. We looked at Shawn Michaels versus uh, Hulk Hogan from SummerSlam 2005. We looked at the TLC 2012 match uh, a few months back. So let's, we're talking about perhaps the best match of the last decade in WWE. Uh, it's it's even up there as one of the best matches, I think, of the 2000s. So talking a little CM Punk tonight, Kyle Ross on the line, along with Justin Joint. Kyle, you ready to uh, talk a little CM Punk? Yeah, I think I am. And um, of course, like so many stories in the WWE uh, in the 21st century, this one ends with Triple H completely ruining it. <laughs> Sneak peek. I- Yes. I'm sorry. Do I have your attention now? <laughs> <laughs> Pipe bomb from Kyle Ross to start the podcast out. That always means we're going to be having a great show, Justin Joint. Justin, I'm not sure where CM Punk rates as far as your uh, your tiers of professional wrestlers and, and who you're a fan of over the course of your lifetime. Are you ready to talk a little CM Punk? It's pottering time! <laughs> You did drop that line at the end of uh, the broadcast last week, so I, I guess that was a little sneak peek as to what we were going to be getting. But uh, right. yeah, I mean, Punk for me was one of my favorite wrestlers of the last 15 years, easily, and this time in WWE history was it had the it had the chance to springboard into something really big. I feel like we're, we're going to talk about a lot of the aspects of like TV ratings, pay-per-view numbers at the time. Um, but like anecdotally, when you talk to people around our age, I mean, how many people have you heard say the CM Punk storyline, the pipe bomb, like kind of brought them back to wrestling? I've heard so many people I mean, say that. That was basically me. I mean, what's kind of started it a little bit was the curiosity of the reality show guy, Miz winning the world title and then that uh that video package for wrestlemania but i was still barely paying attention but 
once the pipe bomb happened, I was back to being all in as much as I could be because I just bought a house and didn't even have cable. So, <laughs> yeah. What about you, Kyle? Uh, for me, this would have been the first time in four plus years that I ordered a non rumble or WrestleMania. I think I went back and I'm, I'm pretty sure I guess no one can call me on that. They don't have my order history from Cox cable during this time, but I'm pretty sure at COX, Justin, um, <laughs> so yeah, this kind of got me back into it. I had watched, uh, rumble and mania earlier that year live, but, uh, as far as punk and, you know, where he rates for me, I don't think I've cared as much about any WWE performer since I did with punk here. At the time, okay. I, I don't think not even Daniel Bryan at okay. WrestleMania 30 uh, was I as emotionally invested as I was CM Punk with this storyline and this pay-per-view. Yeah, Bryan is the only one that would come close for me, uh, but I, I would say Punk outranks Bryan for me, too. It was just it was a super exciting time for a few weeks, right? Like as yeah. we're going to get it, <laughs> which I believe somebody, uh, that'd be a great working title for a book about 21st century WWE. It was an exciting time for a few weeks. <laughs> it could have been longer, but creative week to week booking. We'll get into all of that here tonight. But for me, I was, I was kind of in and out of the product in 2011. Um, my current wife and I had started dating uh, the prior year. Uh, and by the summer of 2011, we were recently engaged. Uh, but one of, so I should say this too. My wife, I've said this on the podcast before, not really into pro wrestling. I've tried, doesn't work. But I have taken her to a few live shows. And we actually went to a house show just a handful of weeks before Money in the Bank 2011. That was the first wrestling show she had ever been to. Uh, Punk was not on that card, but Daniel Bryan was. And of course, Daniel Bryan won the opening match of this pay-per-view. Uh, won the Money in the Bank contract for SmackDown, and it was uh, it was kind of a surprise at the time. Uh, Altogether, all Money in the Bank 2011 was a fantastic pay-per-view. Um, but I had taken my wife Megan to this house show in, uh, at the end of May, and I remember telling her, you know, Daniel Bryan, this is the guy to watch. Uh, but I was really getting into Punk too. but then when the pipe bomb happened, it was like that put Punk on a whole different level for me, you know. Um, and so one of my biggest regrets as a fan is I could have gone to this show and I didn't go. Uh, one of my good friends, he's done a lot of the graphic uh, graphic design work here for Top Rope Nation, Tim Jensen. Uh, he and I talked about going to Money in the Bank 2011 because my wife was actually, or my fiance at the time, was out of town that weekend at a bachelorette party. I'm at my apartment by myself. I was planning on watching the pay-per-view. And I remember, I think even the morning of the show, Tim and I were texting and talking about, oh, should we go to Chicago? It's just under a four-hour drive to the Allstate Arena. There was reasonable tickets on StubHub, and we talked about it. Uh, but we ended up just watching the show on pay-per-view with a friend. Uh, I wish I had been there live for this one. That was a bad mistake on my part. Yeah, I, I thought that was the case. I feel like I've you've told me that story before, and yeah, yeah. That's, uh, and I was when I was watching it in Chicago, and I see all the Cubs related signs i was like i think ryan told me that there was some extenuating circumstance that he didn't make it out to this one yeah we all we all have our regrets 
could, shows could've that gone. we missed. Yeah, I was... could have gone. Tim's out there listening. We've talked about it since. Like, man, we really should have gone to that one. But I mean, even just watching it with a group of people that night on pay per view, I mean, that was one of the most excited households. I've ever been a part of watching a live pay-per-view to be honest with you, like Brian winning the opening match on money in the bank. We all went nuts, you know, cause we're all hardcore internet style fans. We all knew about Daniel Bryan for years. We didn't think he had a chance of winning that match. And then he did. And then of course we were so amped up for punk Cena and how good of a match that ended up being that hell of a night. I mean, I remember it was like a few days later, if you're watching the video version of this punk debuted this t-shirt that night that I am wearing in Chicago. And we, all of us that watched that pay-per-view that night, we were like, got to get that shirt. I hadn't bought a wrestling shirt in many, many years at that point in time. But Punk always had some really good merch. Uh, and I, I remember we all went in on like a bulk order to get it and save on shipping costs. We all bought the new CM Punk shirt, the White Ringer shirt with the logo on it and everything. So, yeah, I mean, it was an exciting time for a few weeks. Yeah. So just to reflect our respective WWE fandoms at the time, a show of hands... Uh, as uh, who watched the pipe bomb promo live? So I can't remember um, because I know I saw it that night, but I can't remember if I watched it on my DVR or I caught the end of raw live. It was either I turned it on and saw it or I saw people talking about it and hit my DVR recording like right afterwards. I definitely saw it that night, but I can't remember if it was live or not. Yeah. You guys didn't, didn't have cable here, so I definitely didn't see it live. Okay. I did not see it live either. I remember specifically checking the Observer site, seeing the headline uh, about CM Punk cuts, you know, what will probably be the most talked about promo in years. And I was like, I've got to find this on YouTube. And I did. I found it later that night. And I was just like blown away. You know, because like you guys, I knew what he was capable of on the mic, and I think this was him fully realizing himself um, as a WWE character. I feel that I definitely started watching Raw live more often after that promo. You want to remember who that uh, main event match was between that Punk interrupted? It's our truth, right? Our truth and John Cena. <laughs> yes, it was Raw Roulette. They were in Las Vegas that night. It was a tables match. Uh, I believe. And Punk came down and helped Truth win. Cena goes through the table. And then Cena's laying in the ring against the table for most of the promo while Punk grabs a microphone, goes to the top of the ramp, sits down, and cuts that memorable promo. And it's it's really hard to think of um, you know, a promo in the 21st century that was as impactful as that one. Well, Okay, I want to go into this because I think the legacy is complicated with the promo. The obvious statements to make are top-tier promo in WWE history, if not all pro wrestling history. The promo along with the match that we're going to talk about here today. Obviously, the peak of CM Punk. But as for the impact of the actual promo... It's really interesting because I don't think it actually changed anything within WWE. If anything, the issues raised by Punk in that promo and in subsequent weeks have only gotten worse in the last decade with WWE. Mm -hmm. And as Punk so eloquently stated in that promo, 
I'm just a spoke on the wheel. After I leave you, people are going to still sip on those collector's cups. And I'm thinking today to myself, how could you summarize this promo? How could you fit it into this, you know, big picture, grand landscape of WWE? And what I came up with was this. It's the start of WWE allowing certain performers to address very real concerns about the promotion. But at the same time, they really don't address the root causes of those concerns. And thus, nothing changes. True. I mean, th- you think about it. I mean, Punk, what happens two and a half years later? He gone. Yeah, he leaves the promotion <laughs> because really his lot did improve some, but not to the degree he wanted to. And the the, the spoke on the wheel, just, you know, he fell off, but the wheel kept turning. People kept sipping collector cups. Absolutely. Now, it depends on how you're defining the term impactful, which I okay. used, um, because mm-hmm. I agree with you as far as did it change the business? Um not really we started getting a few more of those shoot style promos maybe um it was impactful in that it changed the trajectory of his career Mm -hmm. yeah and he had the long world title run it was impactful in that people can remember like exactly what they were doing when they watched it you know it brought people back and gave them some interest again in the product like myself and and justin had mentioned so it was impactful in that way did it change the business or, or really really pop revenue we can examine that maybe in the short term, not in the long term, though. John Cena, while you you lay there, hopefully as uncomfortable as you possibly can be, I want you to listen to me. I want you to digest this because before I leave in three weeks with your WWE Championship, I have a lot of things I want to get off my chest. I don't hate you, John. I don't even dislike you. I do like you. I like you a hell of a lot more than I like most people in the back. I hate this idea that you're the best. Because you're not. I'm the best. I'm the best in the world. There's one thing you're better at than I am. And that's kissing Vince McMahon's ass. You're as good as kissing Vince's ass as Hulk Hogan was. I don't know if you're as good as Dwayne, though he's a pretty good ass kisser. Always was and still is. Oops, I'm breaking the fourth wall. I am the best wrestler in the world. I've been the best ever since day one when I walked into this company and I've been vilified and hated since that day because Paul Heyman saw something in me that nobody else wanted to admit. That's right, I'm a Paul Heyman guy. You know who else was a Paul Heyman guy? Brock Lesnar, and he split just like I'm splitting, but the biggest difference between me and Brock is I'm going to leave with the WWE Championship.
I've grabbed so many of Vincent K. McMahon's imaginary brass rings that it's finally dawned on me that they're just that. They're completely imaginary. The only thing that's real is me and the fact that day in and day out for almost six years I have proved to everybody in the world that I am the best on this microphone, in that ring, even at commentary. Nobody can touch me. And yet, no, how many, no matter how many times I prove it, I'm not on your lovely little collector cups. I'm not on the cover of the program. I'm barely promoted. I don't get to be in movies. I'm certainly not on any crappy show on the USA Network. I'm not on the poster of WrestleMania. I'm not in the signature that's produced at the start of the show. I'm not on Conan O'Brien, I'm not on Jimmy Fallon, but the fact of the matter is I should be, and trust me, this isn't sour grapes, but the fact that Dwayne is in the main event of WrestleMania next year and I'm not makes me sick. Oh, hey, let, let me get something straight. Those of you who are cheering me right now, you are just the biggest part of me leaving as anything else. Because you're the ones that are sipping out of those collector cups right now. You're the ones that buy those programs that my face isn't on the cover of. And then at 5 in the morning at the airport, you try to shove it in my face so you can get an autograph and try to sell it on eBay because you're too lazy to go get a real job. I'm leaving with the WWE Championship on July 17th, and hell, who knows, maybe I'll go defend it in New Japan Pro Wrestling. Maybe I'll go back to Ring of Honor. Hey, Colt Cabana, how you doing? The reason I'm leaving is you people, because after I'm gone, you're still gonna pour money into this company. I'm just a spoke on the wheel. The wheel's gonna keep turning, and I understand that. But Vince McMahon's gonna make money despite himself. He's a millionaire who should be a billionaire. You know why he's not a billionaire? It's because he surrounds himself with glad-handing, nonsensical yes-men like John Laurinaitis, who's gonna tell him everything that he wants to hear. And I'd like to think that maybe this company will be better after Vince McMahon's dead, but the fact is, it's, it's gonna get taken over by his idiotic daughter and his doofus son-in-law and the rest of his stupid family. Let me tell you a personal story about Vince McMahon, all right? Can we do this whole bully camp? It's, it's interesting that so we should talk about punk's contractual status so he'd been doing that the whole uh you know the new nexus stuff leading <laughs> up to money in the bank and then that was basically quietly dropped uh as they turned him babyface. so um you know punk has talked about how he couldn't decide if he was going to re-sign and the way he tells the story he claims that he did not re-sign until he was at the Money in the Bank show uh, as the show was getting underway. I don't know that I buy that. <laughs> yeah, so 
Look, I, I think for people who may have forgotten or weren't around at the time, uh, his real-life contractual status made for so much the intrigue, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. When he did that, because people legitimately thought he was leaving. And then he cuts this hot promo, and people are like, okay, I'm really into him. They can't let him leave, but he's going to leave. Uh, and, yeah, I, I don't know if I believe him either. I, you know, again, WWE gives people latitude, starting with this, but even Meltzer acknowledges in one of the observers during the time period, there had to be some sort of wink and nod agreement at the very least when they let him go on television on June 27th and cut the pipe bomb promo. Yeah, I mean, it's hard, it's hard to imagine them allowing him to do that, putting him in a world title match, you know, in his hometown without some semblance of knowing he's going to stay on because they're really backing themselves in a corner there where, you know, contractually he can basically demand whatever he wants and really drive the price up almost like the whole Brian Pillman thing back in 95 and 96. Right. So yeah. And Dave went into a big comparison. I I want to get into that later with him and yeah, uh, Brian in 97, but it is interesting that what they wind up doing at money in the bank was apparently not the original plan. So I think it was a fluid situation. Will he sign or will he not? But I think once he cut the pipe bomb, there was at least some idea that he would be staying with the company long-term. Because even if you were going to do that original finish, which was the Del Rio cash-in that they do at SummerSlam, Mm -hmm. you really can't do that and have Punk leave the promotion because there's going to be so much heat on wanting to see him get revenge. Yeah. Right? That wouldn't be a good idea to have a finish like that and then that'd be his write-off. Yeah, absolutely. I just, I just wanted to make a counter argument to maybe something being in place when they let him do the pipe bomb. It, in order for that to be the situation, that that's you assuming that WWE had any faith in him to make that kind of promo. I mean, they obviously had not been booking him very well for years and thought probably very little of him. And I'm sure they didn't think he could go out there and kind of rattle the wrestling world like he did. Well, yeah. I mean, he was definitely known as one of the best talkers in the company, though. Yeah. You know, he'd done some commentary. Um, the way he tells it, the day he showed up at the arena in Vegas, the night he cut the the pipe bomb, he was told, they're giving you a live mic. You can go out there and say whatever you want. And boy, he made the best of it. But I mean, yeah, who am I to say? I don't know for sure. Maybe what he what he says is true, and he didn't sign until Chicago. I don't know. It's just when you look at it from the outside, it's hard to imagine WWE would put themselves in that kind of a situation, but who knows? I wouldn't be surprised if he didn't physically sign that night just to keep up the thing. But like I said, there along the way, I think some yeah. agreement was probably made. As far as Punk's mic work goes, pre-Pipe Bomb, you know, the um, not the second, the straight edge society stuff was pretty good. Mm-hmm. But you, mm-hmm. you are right. He, you know, and maybe that played a factor in business not moving uh, to the degree some had hoped, something Justin had mentioned. Punk had not been booked strong at all leading up to this promo because they did think he was actually leaving at some oh. point. Like, it, it, there was a time period that wwe and lots of other people had reason to believe that he was in fact leaving i think it was you know like you talked about uh ryan moments ago he kind of actually fulfilled what pillman was trying to do in a a way right yeah just drive you know 
get himself to be the most talked about guy and drive up his value as high as it could possibly go. And he did do that. So uh, where should we go next? Do you want to talk about like where business was at the time? Uh, I just could, could want me to read this little quick part from the okay. observer. Yeah. Like what, what Dave said about the promo. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is the July 4th, 2011 wrestling observer newsletter. Uh, CM Punk's interview at the end of the 627 Raw, ripping on the McMahons, employees kissing Vince McMahon's ass, John Laurinaitis talking about being a Paul Heyman guy just like Brock Lesnar, vowing to leave the company with the championship on 717, and teasing taking it to New Japan Pro Wrestling or Ring of Honor will end up likely being the most talked about wrestling promo in years. The promo went farther than any promo in recent memory, perhaps WWE history. As Punk talked about breaking down the, quote, fourth wall, and talked about what many criticized WWE for, and about the only thing seemingly off-limits was any mentions of TNA. As far as work shoots go, this was as far as WWE has ever gone, including the acknowledgement of previously forbidden subjects, such as if Vince McMahon would die, and if so, how the company was being turned over to Stephanie and Triple H. Yeah, I mean, that's what made it so memorable. You, you know, he's saying stuff no one had ever said on TV. It's stuff people were saying on Twitter at the time, which is why people loved it. It's what people were saying on message boards at the time. Um, and, and honestly, it's stuff that Punk himself really believes. Uh, whenever, you know, you straddle that line between reality and theater, that's when wrestling's the best. And like a lot of the stuff he was saying was stuff CM Punk really believes. He was pissed he wasn't on the collector's cups. He was pissed he wasn't on the posters. Hell, it's one of the reasons he left the WWE in 2014, right? He he was, everyone knows he was pissed off about the, the WrestleMania main event situation, that he had been on top for a couple of years, but not actually on top at WrestleMania, yeah. right? So, I mean, he believed in what he was saying. Absolutely. He wasn't just putting it all on. Well, I mean, just 90% of all the good things or memorable moments in WWE history has been a an accident or because something somebody had been booked bad previously every yeah. single time. Yep. Yeah, I mean you can't script stuff like this obviously. And you know, he thought he was better than The Rock and he thought he was better than John Cena. And whether you believe that or not, I, that's up to you, but the fact he believed it makes for a better character, right? I mean it's better than, you know, when today's non tippy top guys are almost like, Oh, well, you know, we're not the real stars, you know, or they like act in all when the legends come back. Mm-hmm. Punk wasn't like that. Here's a guy just saying, yeah, these are the two. St- I'm better than them. And basically I don't give a shit what anybody says. I think I'm better than them. And that's all that matters. And that made the character good. He, he had a real edge and something that I really want to talk about over the course of this program is, was just kind of molding him into a more tried and true baby face, a mistake. Okay. I, I think that's something we should explore because there was definitely an edge um, that might have been a little lost over time. Well, so let's talk about what he had been doing in the month prior, you know, two money in the bank and even before the pipe bomb. So the previous pay-per-view in uh, June of, or was it May? What was the date of that? It would have been, uh, yeah, June 19th, 2011. Capital Punishment, ah, not, a, yes. not a great pay-per-view. <laughs> yes, Capital Punishment. Headlined by John Cena and R-Truth, believe it or not. Uh, but on that show, Punk Jesus. took on Rey Mysterio. And so Punk had been feuding with Rey Mysterio. And this is going to kind of go into after he wins the title and then it's dropped. 
Uh, but he had been feuding with Rey Mysterio, and I believe this is something Frank said over at the torch on the show we did on Money in the Bank recently. Uh, there was a hint dropped on that show that CM Punk was about to do something really large. Like they kind of alluded to the fact that he was going to do something crazy pretty soon. And that's, he ends up getting this world title match, you know, the next month against John Cena. Uh, and so he won a number one contenders match right now. Do you remember how this went down, Kyle? I can't remember. No. So I'm going to be very honest with you. It's very rare. I get to say this okay. on this program. I have never seen Capital Punishment 2011. <laughs> and just in case of any of you out there wondering, there was no Capital Punishment 2012. <laughs> a one and done affair, like Great Balls of Fire. Yes. Um, although that was a great pay-per-view name. I mean, they could have kept that one going. Uh, but yeah, he... Um, so he faced Mysterio at Capital Punishment, and then he faced uh, Del Rio in a number one contenders match, which Mysterio was also in. Um and then he becomes the number one contender. He talks about how he's he's got this uh, contract expiring July 17th at Money in the Bank. And he's talking about how he's going to leave with the WWE Championship. The other storyline kind of going on here is that 2011 was the year that WWE was toying with pushing Alberto Del Rio to the moon. Yeah. Right. He won that Royal Rumble. Um, at one point in time, he was supposed to win the title at WrestleMania. They changed those plans. He will win the Raw Money in the Bank at Money in the Bank. And uh, as Kyle said, cash in at SummerSlam and, and take the title from Punk there. But they were kind of like here and there with Alberto Del Rio. They wanted to push him. They wanted him to be the guy to sell tickets for SummerSlam in Los Angeles. They wanted him to be the, the new draw for the Hispanic market, basically. And there was one problem. He wasn't that good. And then the bell rang. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he just he just wasn't that good. That's yeah. really another way to say it. And sometimes, that whole... sometimes it's WWE's fault for giving up too quickly. I just never saw it with Alberto Del Rio. Same, same. And that's going to be to Punk's detriment. <laughs> no doubt about it in the aftermath. But uh, yeah, anything else on the build you wanted to hit, Kyle? Oh! I mean, the suspension and then him coming yeah, back. Qu quite a bit. So, yeah, the week after the promo, the pipe bomb, as it is now affectionately known as, they do an angle where Vince suspends Punk. Uh, but John Cena kind of playing a baby face to the pro-WWE audience still. So he's still kind of being his usual character. It's like, no, you know, I'm all for freedom of speech. You need to unsuspend him. So Vince unsuspends, quote-unquote, uh, Punk, and adds the stipulation, and I want to know your guys' thoughts on if this was too much. If Cena loses at Money in the Bank, he's fired. I, I Almost every time that's a stipulation, it's too much. <laughs> yeah, and, and remember, they had just done this stipulation. I had forgotten about this until I did my research the prior year with Nexus, another angle. Uh, that was exciting for three weeks and then went nowhere. <laughs> Remember, he was yeah, Juan, he was Juan Cena at a few of the house shows. Yeah, I Yikes. completely forgot about this too. That, that they had this stipulation for a while. Juan Cena. Yikes! <laughs> That's up. So you know, I don't think anyone bought. I, but I guess in their head, they're like, "Oh, well, okay. No one believes they're gonna fire." Cena, but that storyline was like just thrown to the curb like the next week. So it, I think it came across um, as totally unnecessary. It's probably something a lot of people have been forgot uh, have forgotten. 
yeah. in regards to the bill that they even had that stipulation. If, if Cena loses, uh, he's fired. Uh, you know, we talked about earlier, so much of the intrigue was about whether or not Punk was actually going to leave. Uh, there were a lot of interesting ideas Dave had in the Observer. He really went pretty in-depth in this. I really had a good time reading the Wrestling Observer <laughs> newsletter in my archive at F4W online cheap plug. Remember, man, the Observer was real solid 10 years ago, in my opinion. Not that it's bad today. Don't anyone get mad at me. But um, I wanted to just take a look at this because there were some interesting ideas and I wanted to run these by you to see if you guys liked them or we thought that they were better than what they actually did. Why can I not find it? This is atrocious, atrocious podcasting. Ryan Trosty, you may (laughs) have to cut as I am stretching my (laughs) talk here because it's not coming (laughs) up and I'm trying so hard to find it. There was like this column of like five things that he had and now I can't find it. I I demand this stays in. I demand this stays in the (laughs) box. Kyle, you know how I call you the wrestling rain man? You actually kind of sounded like rain man. (laughs) Oh no, that's bad. I have to do this. Definitely had this. I just, this is very, I wrote down 7-Eleven Observer here, and it's, it, I'm not showing up. Definitely, I, definitely got to find the Observer. Definitely got to find the yeah. Observer. You definitely got to find the Observer, man. That's not very funny, man. I don't, I don't like that kind of talk. Well, hey, well, while you're trying to get that to load, let me talk about the ratings here. Okay. So, the night Punk cut the pipe bomb, of course, that was unannounced, um, but Raw was, Two hours at that time. The show did 4.85 million for the first hour and 5 million for the second hour. For those keeping score at home, Raw today does what? Around 1.8 million? They'd Something bite like their that. arm off for a rating like that. <laughs> the week after the pipe bomb, uh, it was 4th of July. Show dipped down a lot, holiday as it always does, but still 3.5 million, double what it does today. Uh, and then the go home show to Money in the Bank, Punk is back. Four point two million for hour one, four point five million for hour two. So actually, slightly below where they were the night of the pipe bomb, but you know, ballpark still in that kind of same ballpark. And then you know, for the rest of two thousand and eleven, they're kind of in that you know four and a half million range. Uh, they once in a while they go over five million for a few shows, but it's pretty solidly about four and a half million for both hours throughout the rest of two thousand and eleven. So much much higher than they are today. Um, the flip side is, you know, some people might say, well, Punk, Punk didn't really change business all that much. People would say, that, like, look, the raw ratings didn't go that mu- go up that much after Money in the Bank when he won the title. And then and then later in the year after he got it back at Survivor Series after dropping it at SummerSlam. But at the same time, as I'm sure we're going to get into at the end of this show, look at how they booked him. Look at him losing the title mm-hmm. at SummerSlam and it taking months to get it back and having him wrestle doing the whole McMahon storyline, him and Triple H, all of that. Uh, live live attendance business throughout 2011 and then into 2012 when he has his long title run, um, about the same both years. Not a huge impact at the gate. But I think the bigger story here is that it could have been bigger mm-hmm. and they didn't book it well and they were booking week to week and kind of lost sight of where they should go. To Punk's credit, we can look at the pay-per-view statistics of 2011 and if you look at the domestic buys for like the B level shows in 2011, 
All right, so domestically, capital punishment the month before did 85,000 buys. The month before that, over the limit, did 72,000 buys. Uh, Extreme Rules did 108,000. All right, well, Money in the Bank did 146,000 domestic buys. So from the month prior, it nearly doubled. So you have to credit Punk for driving up some interest in that show. It is Money in the Bank, but still, it's not like one of their cornerstone pay-per-views. and to be fair, it was uh, this was only uh, season two, episode one of Money in the Bank. <laughs> the only second year they had done the show. Yeah, proper, they, they, this was only the second year they had done it as a standalone show, and, and it, there was an increase of, I believe, thirty thousand from the previous year. So yeah, Money so, in the Bank. So buys went up a lot, and especially when you look at the month prior uh, pay per view. So certainly people were interested in that. So it shows that potentially in the long run had they been booking with a end game in sight rather than week to week business could have went up and up and up but it didn't you know you SummerSlam domestically did 180,000 buys mm. so you know above money in the bank maybe not quite as high as they would have no. liked uh, that, then, that, was, then, that wasn't a good number but I think it's because they botched the angle after money in the bank yeah which we'll talk about and then, I mean, the rest of the year, I'm just talking domestic numbers here. Night of Champions, 109. Hell in a Cell, 98. Uh, Vengeance, 65,000. Uh, it goes up again to 179,000 buys for Survivor Series. Punk wins the title at that show, but The Rock is also on the show, uh, which is it was a, a definitely a big reason that the buys went up so much. So in the short run, I do think Punk changed business and for the better. I mean, I think he made the TV better, but... You have to stretch it out. I mean, th- this one pay-per-view was way up than whatever they would have done. But, I mean, if you stretch it out over the long term, I, I, I just – I don't know what he – I mean, he got a higher spot on the card. But I don't really think – I mean, if you look at the pay-per-views from SummerSlam and beyond um, – That's what I'm saying, though. It was the, co- that was on the McMahons. That was on them making – him feuding with the McMahons and Triple H and all. Oh yeah, that. yeah, that got worse. Yes, they exactly. screwed it over. But yeah, in the I mean, short run, when when they when he was booked well with the pipe bomb and just a couple of weeks of television into Money in the Bank, he popped that pay per view number. You have to credit that to CM Punk. I mean, almost doubled it from the month prior. So it shows that he did draw interest. He did draw money, and then it was botched in the long run yeah. and business slumped again. Yeah, I mean, there's no way in hell I would have ordered Money in the Bank 2011 if it was a different. Right. Main event, and that's something mm-hmm. too. You just brought up Ryan that needs to be discussed. This was only a three-week build, yeah, from pipe bomb to match. And one of those weeks, as you put it, was the Fourth of July, which you know naturally did a low rating. People going out to see fireworks and whatnot. So, uh, you know, they didn't have a long time to tell this story, which you know sometimes is for the better with WWE. But yeah, it did. The, the the as far as a B show goes, and B shows, this was the time period where people kind of realized that people just weren't into them, unless if there was something really special like this or a Lesnar return, uh, the following year. Ironically, yeah. that was the only other time Extreme Rules 2012 I ordered a B show, uh, WWE pay per view before the network. Money in the Bank here and Extreme Rules the next year. I did find that list, by the way. Okay. I was just, before you get to that, interesting mm-hmm. that in the Pipe Bomb promo, Punk drops Brock Lesnar's name. Yes. You know, this is the promo where he famously says, I'm a Paul Heyman guy. And he says, you know who else was a Paul Heyman guy? Brock Lesnar. And he left. All right. A year later, he comes back. But that's where the, the Paul Heyman guy stuff comes from. 
Go ahead, yeah, Kyle. Absolutely. So Meltzer ran through some ideas here. I wanted to, and I, I thought he numbered them, which is what was throwing me off, but he didn't number them. Uh, but I've got it here. So here were some ideas he had um, for where this angle could go. This was written before the pay-per-view took place. One would be the idea of Cena turning and aligning with McMahon against Punk. Anything is possible since there are a huge number of fans who don't like Cena to begin with, but the idea when broached has been shot down for years during periods where Cena would get booed far more than he does today because it would kill the millions of dollars in Cena merchandise sales and hurt his drawing power among kids and women, audiences that come in far lesser numbers on shows he's not on. So I'd say that one is unlikely. What do you guys think? Was staying the course with Cena the right way? I mean, was this a time period they should have turned him heel? Any thoughts on that? I mean, that's that's all like, you know, I get like he pointed out, if you're just thinking business, then yeah, you want to keep him babyface. But if you want to build intrigue, that would have been a perfect time to turn him heel. Just make him, you can basically keep the character the exact same. You just make him a company man. How would that have affected the money in the bank finish though? Well, probably I would have preferred a cleaner finish. I, 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 even at the time, I didn't like the way they ended that one with him. They, they had to make Cena the hero, even in that match. Well, no, but I mean, mm. if you're doing a Cena heel turn, he's going to win then, right? And then Punk is gone. I, I think he would have done it like the week after. You start doing that to okay. build to maybe the next pay-per-view. Um, And then I, he also, uh, he mentions Brian Alvarez had suggested uh, having one Money in the Bank winner go in, cash it in, beat him down, but Punk comes back to win, foiling McMahon's plot, only for the other Money in the Bank winner to come in and beat him. What would we think about that? Obviously they tried with the one money in the bank winner and and he was not successful. And that's how the show ended, but that's something they've never done. And now they don't have two men's money in the bank winners anymore. How asinine was that, by the way, (laughs) two men's money for one for each brand, even though SmackDown was dying on a vine, by the way. And yes, folks, despite the storyline, there was another world title in WWE at this point, which I thought kind of watered down this storyline a little bit. You know, it's like they're acting. Oh my God, the WWE title could lose. Well, what about your other world champion that you got? But what do you think about that storyline? Like having, because I know that was on the table. Meltzer reported later that the original plan was to do Cena beats Punk, but then Del Rio cashes in with, I think, help from Triple H. It was kind of like a combination of basically what they did two years later with Brian. I mean, any scenario where you have Triple H actually turn into a heel uh, to build their feud that way, that's much better than having a freaking babyface Triple H feud that they eventually did at like going into Night of Champions. Well, there was also the plan, I believe Meltzer wrote about this in The Observer, if I remember right, that when Punk comes back to TV eight whole days after Money in the Bank, we'll get into that, uh, they were considering... Uh, Triple H giving Punk a pedigree in the ring, Del Rio coming out and winning the title from him eight days after Money in the Bank. This was after he won the title that was under consideration. Mm-hmm. So I guess you would have had your heel turn there from Triple H, but my God, that would have been dreadful yeah. if they had actually done that. Well, they, they kind of did it anyway. But well, I mean, they, they did a few weeks later. When, and, but, and as Justin mentioned, yeah. Triple H not going heel, and they you know inserted Kevin Nash for some ungodly reason. I mean, ha- ha- having CM Punk... Have that moment blowing the kiss to Vince McMahon and leaving the ring. That's as good as it's going to get in that match. You can't you yeah. can't do anything that alters that. That is an all time wrestling moment. I, I agree, 
what they did was the best possible thing. Believe it. That night. I don't mm-hmm. think, I don't think, you know, and we'll get into it. That's why I think it's a five-star match. I just don't think you could have done it any better than what they did. Punk leaving and taking the title, running into the crowd, the, the great kiss shot, Justin, you mentioned. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't think you could have done that any better. Um, so, yeah. All right. So let's talk about the match. Well, I, I did. There is one thing that we need to mention this Australia folly that happened. I, don't remember, I do oh, not remember this at all. Yeah. I did not either. So uh, two weeks before Money in the Bank, Cena and Punk had their run through at an Australian house show. Some fan was heckling Punk, and Punk told the fan, you have a vagina, and nice hawk, H-O-M-O. When was this again? Two weeks before the pay-per-view in wow. Australia. And so Glad, I get this got some pub. Glad got um, a, a gay rights group, uh, you know, found out about it. WWE apologized. Punk apologized. WWE, in one of the most ins- insincere moves ever, said, oh, well, this guy's leaving in two weeks anyway. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Are you kidding me? And by the way, faux hawks do stink, but you can't go that route. Come on. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. And, and in that run through, CM Punk, according to Meltzer, teased earthquake splashes. The sit down, he like he was like jumping up and down, giving the like the, the aftershocks. And Meltzer said this went over everyone in the crowd's head. That's pretty hilarious, though. <laughs> I kind of want to see like Punk teasing the earthquake sit down splash in a random house show in Australia, and it going over everyone's head. Yes. I digress. I apologize. <laughs> True. All right, so let's uh, let's get to the match. So All State Arena. In Rosemont, suburban Chicago, of course, CM Punk's hometown. Uh, we've talked about it on the on the podcast before. Uh, I've been to events at at the Allstate Arena. It's an unbelievable place to see a wrestling show. It's just so loud there. It's an old venue, the old Rosemont Horizon. Uh, the wooden ceiling, the way that the uh, the sound just kind of ricochets around that building. It's it's so loud. It's it's by far the loudest arena I've ever been in for a wrestling show or a concert. So I can hardly imagine what it was like that night when Punk makes his entrance. And it is, I you know, when I watch this, I imagine Kyle saying, oh, that gives me strength, as he likes to say here on the <laughs> podcast, because this oh, is just a hell of an entrance. I was pacing in the old <laughs> condo, man, living by myself. I did not watch that anybody, but I was super, as into it as I've ever been into a show watching by myself, man. Lawler says um, on commentary that the reaction Punk gets would be like if the Chicago Bears played a Super Bowl in Chicago. A place is just shaking, man. He comes out to the old Kill Switch Engage theme song. He doesn't have cults of personality yet. That's when he comes back eight days later on Raw, uh, the old Ring of Honor theme that he had used. Uh, but Kill Switch Engage here is a pretty damn sweet theme song, too. And yeah, he comes out, the place is going nuts. You know, if Cena wins, we riot all the signs that we saw that night. Uh, yeah, one of the most, I would say this is probably one of my top five favorite entrances in the history of professional wrestling. I mean, it's, I watched it multiple times as I went back and watched this, watch this match. You guys have thoughts. It's, it's that crowd shot with everybody chanting CM Punk. And then when that music kicks in and they just lose their minds. I mean, I, I watching that for the first time is something I'll never forget. Yeah. 
Yeah, I remember just being like, come on, man. Let let it be like Canadian Stampede with the mm-hmm. Hart Foundation. And it very much was. Uh, <laughs> you, you talked about earlier, Ryan, CM Punk still being uh, part of the Nexus. So I guess loosely uh, <laughs> still at this point. It did say the Nexus on his little uh, entrance thing. You know, oh, it like, did? Yeah. When the bar came out and said CM Punk, which huh. made, made me laugh. That. Yeah, I had forgot because when you had mentioned they'd still been doing it, I was like, God, the Nexus was still going on but, at this point? But, but they did drop, you know, they dropped his old shirt. He was wearing a shirt at the time that was like black and gold with the fist mm-hmm. and lightning on it, which had the Nexus logo on the sleeve. Mm-hmm. And this was another reason that I didn't really buy that he was leaving because the shirt I'm wearing here and the shirt he wore at Money in the Bank debuted that night. And I remember like watching the show even at the time saying he's not leaving. He's got a brand new t-shirt. Well, (laughs) and not only that, and I'm guessing this was just for the people that were in the building, that shirt that he was wearing was with the date of the show on it. I could tell you that I knew someone that was at that show, uh, like a big wrestling fan that I, I think I talked to a lot on Twitter at the time. He was from Chicago. He got that shirt and WWE didn't sell these shirts for a few days. And some people at first thought that it was only going to be available at the event because it had the date on the back. Uh, and they were selling on eBay for hundreds of dollars. My God. Yeah. Within just a couple of days of that event. And I think if you have the version with Chicago on the back, it's still would be worth a lot astronomical amount of money right now. But uh, eventually, yeah, they mass released it. They took the Chicago off, and the rest of it was all the same. And it's honestly one of the best shirts they've released mm-hmm. in the last fifteen to twenty years, uh, and one of the highest selling shirts I believe that they've had during that period as well. Uh, my favorite sign was "I love Brutus Beefcake." <laughs> <laughs> Very random sign to hold up during this match. Oh um, man! Uh, also head scratching. Uh, Jerry Lawler saying he had never seen a partisan crowd slash hometown emotion like this before. What <laughs> yeah. about every week in his career? Jerry's memory really does suck as much as everyone uh, <laughs> says it had. Uh, you know, but yeah, it, it, both guys nailed their entrance. We talked a little bit about um, Cena at One Night Stand 06 when we recapped this show. I don't think this is remembered, but again, I, I thought it was a cool entrance. It was very similar, you know, keeping the head down, that all, but no salute to the crowd, very much playing into the heel role to the live audience, which mm-hmm. he obviously was. Although there were some, let's go see a chance here, mm-hmm. unlike One Night Stand 06. A bit so, higher pitched, not, not unusual. Correct. Absolutely. You know, what's interesting is I don't think that they had fully decided they wanted Punk to be a babyface, even at this show. Uh, because when he cuts the pipe bomb promo... He's still running down the crowd. Remember, like, as the pipe bomb promo happened, they were booing him at first. And then as it kept going, he started to get some cheers. And then he turned to the crowd and said, you know, like, they're just as big of a problem as the people he's talking about because they're buying those cups with the pictures on it that he's not on and stuff. So, like, I'm not quite sure they wanted it. They didn't really know where they were taking him yet because this is one of those matches. And we've seen him do this a lot over the years where when the crowd is not reacting like they want them to react, they try to explain it away. And they do that multiple times in this match. You know, oh, it's Punk's hometown. That's why there's this partisan reaction. Um, They say stuff like, I think it's Lawler, says something like, oh, why would people be cheering CM Punk? He wants to take our title away, you know? He wants to take the title away from WWE. So they're not really building him up as as a pure babyface, even at Money in the Bank itself. 
which I found interesting. No, it's very much like, hey, WWE fans, this guy doesn't have your best interest at heart. He's selfish. He's in it mm-hmm. for himself. And yes, some people follow him, but don't be a part of Bizarro World. Be a part of us. Right. Which I, I don't necessarily think was wrong going into the show. Mm-hmm. I don't think that, like, I don't think they needed to, like, lean on him being, like, a pure baby face. Like I said, it may have been a mistake to do that at all. Mm-hmm. We could talk about that in the fallout, though. Yeah, um, we'll get to that. Yeah. And, you know, you talked about, you know, the sign, obviously, also. Uh, it had previously been seen at One Night Stand 06, uh, the Cena RVD match we talked about. You know, it was if Cena wins re-riot, it's, it's back again here. Yeah, and there's an if Punk loses, we loses, we ride. Yeah, well. there's two yeah. of them. There's there's multiples like that. Yeah, you got of course Colt Cabana in the front row and Ace Steel. Colt Cabana had been referenced um, during the Pipe Mound promo, and uh, of course Punk and Colt Cabana no longer good friends, but at that time very very tight. Those two had been throughout their careers, and you know the match itself again it features a heel Michael Cole. The heel Michael Cole stuff though. I didn't dislike it as much during this match as I did the Daniel Bryan ladder match on that show. If you guys go back and you watch that one, he is so annoying in that match. He's talking about Bryan being this annoying little gnat that you can't get rid of. And he's doing, you know, Daniel Bryan's a geek and all that stuff. He's He definitely has the heel bit in this one too, but it's not as distracting as earlier in the show. I didn't think, um, you know, Booker, not great on commentary. <laughs> I kind of like, but I liked his enthusiasm, man. I don't That's know. True. I, always, I always thought, you know, Jonathan Coachman was a clear downgrade when they made that move a few years ago. Um, it, Meltzer hated the commentary for this match. I mean, just raked it over the coals and the observer. I, I didn't mind it nearly as much. I thought Cole and Lawler it was logical, although they had been feuding earlier in the year um, at, at a WrestleMania match. In fact, but they were pro WWE, which is what you would expect from the commentary team, right? It kind of made Punk a little cooler. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you know Booker, he's just pro enthusiasm, man. He's just yelling, "Oh my goodness!" and stuff like that. <laughs> eh, you know, sometimes you need that. <laughs> I don't mind. I didn't mind Book. Like he was a lot cooler than that Tool fan in the white blazer you catch the front row a lot of WWE shows. That guy's a nerd. <laughs> We're sorry if you're out there listening. Guy in the I'm blazer. not. <laughs> I think he's a Tool. I've never liked his reactions. Or what? What about the guys dressed as the insane class, uh, insane clown posse, about uh, twelve rows back, camera side. I didn't even notice that. I am drinking a Fago root beer, though. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, the match itself, like Kyle, you you mentioned in your notes, it starts a little slower than you you, uh, remembered. I mean, it it appears like a match is going to go 34 minutes. If you know the runtime when you go in, they pace themselves. It does start out slower. It really kicks in um, towards the end. Uh, Any any spots in the match that really stand out to you guys you wanted to hit on? Uh, I mean, that closing segment, or when you're getting close to the closing segment where you have uh, Cena reverses the crossbody mm-hmm. into the attitude adjustment, which is reversed into the go to sleep, which is reversed into the STFU, which is reversed into the Anaconda Vice. Um, all of that was just really incredible. Um, I'm wondering, and don't get me wrong when I say this, I'm just kind of nitpicking here a little bit. When it comes to five star matches, is this kind of one of the more sloppy ones 
because there, there's two or three moments where things don't exactly go the way they want them. There's an earlier spot in the match where it looks like uh, Punk goes for the crossbody, and it looks like what Cena wanted to do was that catching him, rolling backwards, picking him up, but he landed on Cena's knees, Punk that is, um, which was followed by a pretty amazing suplex to the outside that Punk hit pretty hard. Uh, but also like uh, Punk trying to flip out of the uh, attitude adjustment, but he lands on his butt. And of course, Cole screams, Punk landed on his feet. Punk landed on his feet when he clearly landed on his ass. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, so it just struck me as a little sloppy as far as five-star matches go. And I'm sure it's just the situation. The match is amazing and, and the crowd really makes it. Yeah, I mean, I think this is, you know, and a lot of five-star matches, in my opinion, are like this. This is where I divulge from a lot of, you know, more modern fans as the decade has worn on. I, I think it's just all about the emotion rather than mm-hmm. just hitting everything crisply. And I and I think that, you know, it depends on you as a fan. If that stuff kind of bothers you, then maybe, yeah, you can pick nits. But, yeah, I mean, I like you just said at the end there, it's so much about the emotion. And even though it started slow, I wrote down, yeah, it feels like, I guess it started a little slower than I remembered, but... I remember watching live very much being on the edge of my seat the whole match and into it. I think the live crowd was pretty much into every move. The submission transition you brought up, Justin, yet is definitely when they had the crowd eaten out of the palm of their hands. Um, You know, and I loved, and this is something we usually mock, particularly with NXT matches these days, Cena's gradual disbelief with Punk kicking out. And the near mm-hmm. falls. Mm-hmm. Like normal, that's such an overdone trope in 2021. But it wasn't in 2011. And I thought Cena, his facials were a lot more realistic, less cartoonish, less silly. He wasn't just like, Ugh. you know, like I, I loved on the third one when he got up and just sort of like got in the ref's face. Yeah. Like, no, no, you yep. you had that had to be a three. What are you doing? That that was really cool. And uh yeah, the home stretch, they just had him uh the whole way out of the palm of their hands. Uh, you know, right with Vin, until Vince and John Laurinaitis come out, which added to the drama. Yeah, I I don't mind if it's a little bit sloppy because sometimes I feel like it adds to it and makes it feel more legitimate. You know, like a real fight's mm-hmm. not going to look perfect. There, there's definitely some sloppy spots throughout, but the yeah, the crowd response, the emotion, it's just it's really tough to top. Uh, Justin, you hit it right out of the park. That that segue segue where it's the cross body when Cena rolls through and they go to the AA and then the GTS and the STF and all that. That is the best part of the match. I think Um, I also like Kyle, you mentioned the the crowd eating out of the palm of their hands. The fact that punk kicks out of not one, but two AAs, you know, Cena does what he can to get this guy over here. You got to give him credit. Mm-hmm. And I think the second AA, when he hits mm-hmm. the second AA, the crowd legit thinks that's the end of the match. Yep. It's like, oh, shit, it's over. He's lost. And then when Punk kicks out of the second one, they go absolutely nuts. I mean, you're reaching the crescendo of the match right there. That is so awesome. Uh, but yeah, I mean, like the last 10 minutes of this match are like near perfect, I feel like. And then you get to that finish where they... You know, they're trying to recreate Montreal yet again. Um, they mentioned on commentary at one point in the match, they talk about, oh, Punk wants to leave with the title, just like Bret Hart wanted to leave with the title, which, of course, is not the real history. Bret Hart couldn't have done that. But, you know, they go back to that again, despite it being a year after Bret had, you know, appeared for the company, even wrestled some matches, 
for WWE in, in 2010. Uh, but they're going back to that again. So out comes Laurinaitis, out comes Vince McMahon. Uh, Cena has the STF locked in. And then as they go to ring the bell, like Johnny Ace is going to go tell him to ring the bell. Cena jumps out of the ring. He's not going to take a victory like that and clocks Johnny Ace. And the whole locker room had to be popping for that. (laughs) Uh, You know, I mentioned that, I think, during the Cena RVD breakdown we did. I really like that spot. I know what you're saying earlier, just about Cena clearly being protected here on the finish and going (laughs) right to the finish after that may have been a mistake. Um, they'd already gone pretty long at that point. Obviously, you're dealing with the pay-per-view runtime. But um, I really like – that's like the kind of stuff we talked about with Cena. You want to try to hate the guy. But, you know, I don't know. A man's going to win this fight. I don't know. <laughs> I, that made me pop. And especially, yeah, just the timing of him nailing John Laurinaitis was great on that yeah. spot when Laurinaitis is running to ring the bell and, and Cena hits him up. I thought that was kind of a cool spot. Um, it can certainly be debated, like Justin said. Uh, whether or not they should have gone right to the finish after that. Yeah, Casino's distracted after that. You know, he gets back in the ring and boom, gets hit with the GTS cover pinfall. Of course, Vince is pissed at that point. Great reaction. Great <laughs> facial reaction from Vincent Kennedy McMahon on the pinfall. Wants Del Rio to come out and cash in right then and there. Del Rio comes out. Punk immediately kicks him in the head and then Punk kind of like squats down in the corner and starts laughing at Vince. That's a great camera shot um and uh so they they make a point you know del rio didn't officially cash in the bell never rang punk just took him out with the kick to the head and uh yeah i mean that's the end of the match we eventually get that great shot where punk takes the title through the crowd and uh he blows the kiss at vince so uh pretty pretty memorable stuff here leads uh eventually to one of my favorite twitter pictures of all time the picture of the photo in his refrigerator Yes, I remember that that <laughs> night. Yep, absolutely. So, I mean, that is it's an iconic gif and also just the, you know, the picture itself. I'm going to put it on the screen here. Blowing the kiss at Vince McMahon <laughs> right before he takes the old spinner title through the crowd and vanishes. And uh, yeah, he went he went around Chicago that night with the belt. End of the night, as Justin said, with the with the belt in his refrigerator. So <laughs> I liked Vince aggressively going over to the announce table and yelling, give me Alberto yeah. on the headset. I, I thought that was a real nice touch. Like give, he did his role really, really well. Uh, I think there and uh, Michael Cole had a good, you know, I, I'm with you. I hated heel Michael Cole, but you know, in this moment I thought he was okay. He was like the referee never rang the bell. And he was like this like sense of disgust but it wasn't like over the top. I thought it was really good. Just like the entire end scene of of punk leaving through the mob and kind of, you know, the pro WWE forces being in shock. What does this mean for us next? This guy just won the title and he's allegedly leaving. I I thought it was really well done. One of my favorite facial expressions of all time is, uh, as Ryan mentioned, after punk kicks Del Rio, there's this brief moment where he's got a look on his face. He's like, holy shit, I'm going to get away with this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like they, they're not going to get me. I'm out of here. Yep. Yeah. So, and that's how they go off the air. So uh, Kyle, you have in the, you have in the notes here, we're going to get to the aftermath, but you have in the notes, where does this match rank for us as far as uh 21st century, right? Or even the last decade. <sighs> I think it is probably the match, the decade, 2000 to 2019. 
in the sense that the narrative of WWE kind of being at war with a portion of its fan base, and like I said earlier, acknowledging that angst, but not really doing anything about it, this match is very much a metaphor of the last 10 years of WWE, isn't it? Mm-hmm. But it's the best they ever did with this storyline, I think. Yeah. You could argue maybe like Daniel Bryan winning it at WrestleMania might have been a better storyline, but this just had more of a, a raw authenticity to it, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, I would say this is the best WWE match. Deck. It's five stars. I would give it five stars. Make no mistake about it. And mm-hmm. if you said it's the best WWE match, WWE match of the 2000s, I'm not going to disagree with that either, probably. I would say the best of the, what would that decade be called? The 2010s or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, I mean, the, the other big rival people would talk about would be Sean's retirement match at Mania, the rematch with Taker in 2010. Um, but yeah, I mean, for me, it is, it is, is the match of that decade and uh, probably top five of the entire 2000s, at least, you know, WWE wise. I'm trying to think like what from the two 2000 to 2009 was better. Again, people are going to probably throw out Taker and Sean from 25. Mm-hmm. But it's just tough when you add in the pipe bomb and that crowd, it's hard for anything else to top it because match quality, you know, I mean, it's, it's just as good as about anything as you can point out. And if there's something match quality that's better, then that's going to have lacking the build. Yeah, I'm trying to think like, you know, because yeah, I would say the best match WWE 2000 to 2009 is Taker and Sean from 25. Yeah. So the, the those are, you know, I think the top two of the last 21 years. So teach his own probably. Mm-hmm. So the plan was for him to stay away or we thought he was going to stay away for weeks, uh, maybe mm-hmm. even months, uh, you know, WWE the next night. They're going to start a tournament to crown a new champion. Uh, Punk's gone that night. Uh, in the eight days that he's off WWE television, um, he makes a few appearances. He goes to a baseball game. Interestingly, <laughs> interestingly, he went to San Diego Comic-Con and confronted Rey Mysterio and said he would give Rey Mysterio a, a title shot, but it had to be in Chicago. That's never followed up on. Um, the two of them never have a feud for the title, uh, despite them having that history in the month prior to Money in the Bank. So they had him do that. <laughs> Nothing ever comes from that. And unfortunately, uh, your old announcers at WGN, or I don't know if it was Fox Sports, whatever, they didn't seem to know Mr. Punk. They're like, he's, he seems too small to be the heavyweight yeah. champion. That <laughs> yeah. wasn't good. That wasn't good. So as he's gone... Yeah, the story develops that uh, you know Vince is kind of losing it, and maybe Triple H is going to take over. Oh no! <laughs> and you know, in the end, they end up crowning a new champion the next week. So eight days after Money in the Bank, um, Mysterio wins the title in the tournament, and then loses the title to Cena in the main event. So I, I forget, and I did not look it up. Why did Cena get? A, a title shot that same night. Triple H brought him back because he was trying to be the fan friendly COO. Yes. To undermine the fan friendly Rey Mysterio who just <laughs> won his first WWE <laughs> world title. Yes. How 
bizarre was that promo? It's the night after Money in the Bank, right, Ryan? Where Triple H comes out and he starts calling Vince dad and saying people on the board are concerned. Yeah. I mean, what everything an that, odd promo that was. Everything Punk is doing, this is where they start losing it because, like, everything he does feels secondary to the McMahon storyline. Yes. Going on with Vince, you know, losing power, struggling to keep power with Triple H now in the mix and all. This is where they blow it. And they don't really know where they're going week to week. And this is how I think that they, you know, they lost that opportunity where for a few weeks the business felt really hot. And they didn't capitalize on it. And probably in their minds, when the business didn't end up going where they wanted it to over the next year, they probably blamed Punk a little bit, you know, wrongly that, hey, he didn't he didn't take the business to the next level like we thought uh, he would have. And the, and the problem is they didn't have any patience with CM Punk. You know, first of all, they bring him back eight days later <laughs> when, mm-hmm. he, when he could have mistake number one. We talked um, on our review of the Steve Austin A&E biography about how, you know, in the A&E bio, they made it seem like Austin did the 316 speech and then caught fire immediately. And that is not at all how it happened. We mentioned the review that two months after that King of the Ring, he worked a pre-match or a kickoff show match against Yokozuna at SummerSlam. (laughs) I mean, that, that tells you that he wasn't exactly at the top of the card right after that. And with CM Punk here, you know, they didn't they didn't have the patience, at least in his baby face run, when we're going to get to that, or it, pushing him as the top star in the company, maybe, to, to let him see if he could pop the business. You know, by a year later, they're already pivoting away. And Dave wrote about this in The Observer at the time. So I, I wrote this down. I wanted to read this. He said, quote, because he's comparing this to uh, Austin and Hart at WrestleMania. Yes, I saw this. And he says, quote, it should be noted that while Austin and Hart was a pivotal match and Austin became the biggest drawing wrestler at his peak in the history of the company and probably the business, that it was not an immediate success. When Austin had a babyface match with Shawn Michaels on pay-per-view after the turn, that's King of the Ring, 97, uh, there were more fans for Michaels. But WWE business steadily increased that year, and by the summer, it was clear Austin was the company's biggest star. He didn't fully break through until 1998 with the Mike Tyson angle and feud with Vince McMahon. Whether Punk becomes the next Austin or the next Batista or the next Rob Van Dam depends on the follow-up. But for one night, he did something they can never take away from him. He, with help from the company and his opponent, pitched the wrestling equivalent of a perfect game. End quote. And I, I think the big picture issue here is that they didn't have that kind of patience with CM Punk. You know, they give him this brief babyface run, and by 2012, he's doing the heel thing already. You know, and I know Kyle, maybe you're going to talk about how he shouldn't have been a babyface, but the guy was moving a ton of merchandise. He popped a couple of pay per view buy rates, um, and then you know the business started to slump a little bit as we talked about with the focus on the McMahon's and Triple H and Kevin Nash being brought back and all this garbage. And they like they give up on him as as a top babyface by the next year, and he's a heel, and you know he has that long title run, and he's a heel. Well, so he, I mean, go ahead. And he was never put in. A, he was never spotlighted as the man, even in the midst of that four hundred day title run. He was never men of main eventing those pay per views. It was always John Cena and whatever shitty feud he was in with John Laurinaitis or Big Show or whoever. I mean, he he was never the the spotlight. Yeah, 28, um, the following spring, he's in the semi-main defending the title against Jericho while Rock and Cena is on top. 
Yeah, as it should have been. Yeah, I mean, it should have been. Yeah, but you know, had... that, that's an interesting thing that this program is happening or that this, you know, career renaissance for Punk is happening at a time when WWE has already had its top two matches for the next Mania set. Because yes. not only did they have Roxy set, but it was pretty much unspoken that Triple H and Undertaker rematch was giving the semi-main off what they'd done at 27. So... Here you have, and this is where I hate that two titles bullshit, okay? It's crap, and it's never worked, except for, like, the six months at the beginning of 2005. It stinks, because here's it. You're trying to make all punk stealing the title, like, this huge, freaking, like, oh, my God, this can't happen to the WWE. We'll never be the same. But you have another champion, and he's not even in a, a top two match at the next year's WrestleMania. Yeah. So, I mean, the way that didn't really do him any favors. Uh, I do think he was always better as a heel, CM Punk. I, I always prefer heel CM Punk to babyface CM Punk. I get that he was getting over with the segment of the audience, but I have always, always preferred heel CM Punk. I think when you sit back and look at this, the issue was the promotion just never really liked him. Mm-hmm. I, I, that's what it brought the, the reason they never made him the focal point of the promotion because they didn't want to. And I, I was shocked by this revelation uh, that was reprinted in The Observer, August 1st. It was uh, something that was not Dave reporting, but uh, well, I guess he reported, but Dave Lagana, former writer, had talked about this, I guess, on his blog or something like that. Uh, Lagana said that there were agents pushing to get Punk fired. This is early 2007. At a meeting, when agents were bashing Punk, Shawn Michaels said, quote, um, if you don't like something the kid is doing, why don't you work with him to fix it instead of killing him? Michaels said that he and Undertaker weren't going to be around forever, and guys like Punk would be the future of the company, and Lagana said that basically saved Punk in the company. That was a bit of info I did not recall reading. Hmm. But I, I think it's a nice window into the soul. WWE just never viewed Punk as a guy that they wanted to build around. So it was a self-fulfilling prophecy in a way. And as we'll get to, I think Triple H didn't help matters at all. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think him not being a baby face and Punk not, you know, it was like a tweener feud, essentially, that... I think a large portion of the audience, you read off the numbers earlier, Ryan, how many, how many more people were watching Raw, and there was such a thing as a casual audience. They didn't really know what side to take. Yeah. You know, it, it was like those Brett Sean promos in early 97 where they were like quoting buy rates at each other. And if you're a casual, you're like, what is this? <laughs> like, I mean, imagine just let Punk play the role of like the anti-hero, you know, the stone cold, like, the shirt he was wearing on the pipe bomb and, and let, which he never would have done it. And that's the problem with Paul Levesque. If he would have just leaned into the douchebag son-in-law of Vince McMahon and played the heel, that would, that would have made for tremendous television. You hit on something that I absolutely want to push further as a heel television character. Paul Levesque, Triple H, just can't hold a candle to Vince McMahon. And it's for one simple reason. He never shows ass. Mm -hmm. He never 
Like it with the the only time I was thinking about this long and hard. I mentioned you guys. I was pacing around the office today, <laughs> doing my notes. Mm-hmm. I was I was trying to think of a single time he ever showed ass or fear as a heel, which heels should, to get over the baby face. The only time I could ever think of it was when Mick Foley said mankind would not be. Uh, never mind. It's two. You're right, Dave Batista, because he got Dave Batista over that way. You're right. So it's two. Uh, but the other one is when Foley ripped off the shirt and mm-hmm. said Cactus Jack would be challenging. But that's it. And like most heels always show out for the baby face. Like Vince was great working with Austin and TV. Like, you know, he would come out so pompous, but then Austin would get a good line in and Vince would do the big gulp. Triple H just, he had this like air about him. Like, oh, you're not important. And was like almost deliberately trying to communicate that to the fans. Yeah. You know, like he, he, it was like, I'm not out here. You're like, I'll let you say your piece, punk but I'm not going to help you get over it all. And then he fucking beats him at night of champions. Unbelievable. Horrendous. (laughs) Yeah. So they kept punk off TV for eight days. He comes back right after um, Cena wins the title for Mysterio. As we mentioned, eight days after money in the bank. And the, this is when punk goes to cult of personality, the living color song, which he had used in ring of honor. And I thought that was really cool when he brought mm-hmm. that theme song back. I mean, kill switch engage, like I mentioned, was a great theme, but this is even better. And when, when the uh, theme starts up, the crowd doesn't really know who it is. I mean, you'd have to, you probably would have been a pretty hardcore wrestling fan at the time to know that punk had used that, you know, the summer of punk back in, in ring of honor. And then he eventually emerges. And of course he's got the spinner title that he won at money in the bank. And Cena's got the title that he won that night. And they come out and it's face to face. And Cena first holds up his title. And then Punk holds up his title a little bit higher. And the crowd really pops for him. They cheered for both guys, but much louder for CM Punk. And he celebrates a little bit and they go off the air. And so they eventually get to this champion versus champion match at SummerSlam in Los Angeles. And uh, yeah, (laughs) this is when things go downhill. Yeah. I remember being so fired up for that match because I was like, oh my God, it was so great. The last one, what are they going to do? And the finish reeked. Cena again protected with his foot on the rope. Triple H, the special guest referee, misses it. So Punk beats Cena, but then we get Kevin Nash coming out of the crowd, I guess, based on the strength of. That unbelievable pop he received at 2011 Rumble. <laughs> Again, it was a nice pop, but it's overstated. Okay? It was not Hulk Hogan at WrestleMania 3, yeah. Kevin. I mean, Kevin Nash, if you listen to him on these promos, oh, my God, it was, you know, once in a lifetime. You'll never – nobody ever got a pop, pop like that at a Royal Rumble. Like, freaking Diesel got in 2000. So he runs in, lays him out, punk. Del Rio comes in, cashes in. And so the storyline that they had always wanted to do – Del Rio as champion, they do. And of course, Del Rio bombed as champion. <laughs> and ratings and pay-per-view numbers really went into the pooper in September and October. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, you're putting the title on Del Rio after toying with it all year. To do it at this moment in time when they really had something with CM Punk and the storyline with John Cena is just, oh, it, man. Uh, yeah, Even I at mean, the time, it seemed like terrible. Well, and now looking back now... It's really, really bad. Yeah, I'm, the, the combo of the Del Rio cash-in and then Punk losing to Triple H the next month on pay-per-view is just terrible. Like, and yep. it's not like it's just us being smart. I mean, like, it's just indefensible. Like, I, yeah. I would love for someone to make an argument why that would be good. 
That wasn't good. It was dog shit. Yeah, it was. This, cow- and it should be pointed out. It was supposed to be Punk and Nash originally, yep. and Kevin Nash. Uh, you know, God bless son. Maybe he was telling the truth. Maybe, but you know, he had health concerns and had to back out of the match. Yet he still interfered in the match despite those health concerns. But like again, imagine you've got this guy on fire that summer and CM Punk, and by September he's booked against Kevin Nash. I did love the promo the night after SummerSlam. I think it was. When Punk confronted Nash and he's yeah. like, and they were talking about texts. Cause remember, that was the big story. Somebody texted Nash to come and he claimed it was Triple H, mm-hmm. you know, spike him or something. He yeah. said the text said, and Punk's like, oh, I'll show you a text I got from my sister. It said, Kevin Nash, WTF, he's still alive, <laughs> LOL. Like it was something like that. And, and, yeah. and Nash got real mad. Because he yeah. got like outclassed on the mic, which doesn't happen a lot. And he got real mad, started stumbling over his words. Yeah. Love CM Punk. Yeah. <laughs> but they cut they cut him off at the knees, and it was absolute bullshit. Nash never put over Punk. Triple H never put over Punk. Uh, Punk does win the title from Del Rio uh, as a pure baby face at Survivor mm-hmm. Series. But even that was secondary to The Rock's return at yep. that mm-hmm. show. So, yeah, he... He was definitely like always in that number two ish position, but he never was number one like he wanted. Mm-hmm. I when he turned heel, he kind of was, and I I really love that part of the run actually more than his babyface part of the run. I mean, like, yeah, his heel run was very very good. I mean, all I was trying to say was that as a as a drawing babyface, even though he could have still kind of acted heelish because he always was going to the way he was on promos, but position as a top baby face they just didn't give him the time to grow into that role and show that he could draw money i don't think i mean they're already cutting off his knees by SummerSlam. yes i agree completely with that so it's to me this is always one of those ultimate what ifs because as we said at the top of the show for a couple of weeks man they really had something going here and excitement was there people were coming back to watch at least people i knew and justin has talked about this too that you know, hadn't really been paying close attention to wrestling. They were, they were interested. And after SummerSlam, they were mostly tuning out, <laughs> you know, who can blame them? Cause it was same old, same old. We're, we're just going back to the status quo immediately. Yeah. yeah. And, and you know, that was a great point at the very beginning, Kyle, that what did it change when it, it felt like it was going to change things and it really didn't. Yeah. But uh, yeah. Anything else you guys wanted to say before we wrap this tonight? Oh, I think there was something, but you know me, I forgot about it. There was <laughs> something. Uh, I, I meant to type it. There were there was something that I really did want to mention. It was probably some more anti Triple H propaganda. Something he did that really <laughs> stunk. Well, if you think of it, you can drop it. Yeah, I, yeah. Well, I can't. My Facebook account's been hacked, oh, and I'm true. not participating on that app for a while. I'm well, sorry, everyone. If you send me questions, um, I, I don't know. Well, we're, we are recording this show Ryan, in advance, but yeah. maybe you'll have that figured out by the time. Good point. Aired. Ryan and Justin can always send a Raven. Can Can I just throw out one little fantasy booking that I was always shocked they never went with when, during this little stage of Punk's run? Is how awesome would it have been for like a heel Triple H or even for a Jericho to done it to have like an exhibition match or something where they just squash Colt Cabana? <laughs> why why they never brought him out for a match to build some heat 
because yeah. you know he brought him up in the pipe bomb. Yeah, they could have well, done that. That might have flown over some people's heads. I think like who was this guy? I mean, I guess they would have been like, "Ah, it's Punk's friend." Yeah, yeah, that's good. Oh, enough. I remember what I was going to say now. Oh, you're welcome. I go. Thank you, Justin, so much. <laughs> uh, as far as cult of personality, I was going to say, do you know who was live in attendance in Dayton, Ohio, the night CM Punk lost the Ring of Honor World Title? I'm guessing Mr. Ross. It absolutely was one of the best <laughs> matches I've ever seen live. James Gibson, the former Jamie Noble, CM Punk, Samoa Joe, Christopher Daniels in a four-way August in a fucking sweat box in the Montgomery <laughs> County Fairgrounds. I was sweating my ass off at that show. It may have been the infamous show where that guy came up to me and said, you know him as <laughs> Batista. You yeah. know him as John Cena. Um, I'm almost positive that was actually the show. But yeah, summer 2005, I was there when he came out. Um, he, and he was coming out to cult personality then. But yeah, yeah. Jog, jog the old memory. That was, one of, that was a great show. Matt Hardy worked that show when he was doing a work shoot angle. Mm-hmm. Are you visible in the crowd on the recording? I may have to uh, seek out this show. I think we were pretty close. Yeah. Chad, I'll look you for you. Chad, are you listening? Where were we? God, imagine, was it hot. I'm going to screenshot it and put it in the Facebook group if I can find you. Imagine Jamie Noble beating Punk for a world title. How incredible and is that? The crowd was jacked, man. <laughs> the crowd was He was just a transitional chick. Brian won it, I think, not long mm-hmm. after. But well, yeah, it was like the I'm, same story. He was going to take the Ring yeah. of Honor title with them. To WWE. You know, WWE. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of in reverse. Summer of Punk. Yeah. So... All right, guys. Hey, this was a lot of fun. We knew it was going to be a good discussion on one of the greatest matches of the last 20 years. And I think it lived up to the hype. I'm pretty satisfied with how this turned out. If you guys liked it, please let us know. You can send an email to the show, topropenation at gmail.com. And of course, the best way to support us is, well, number one, leave us a five-star rating. Uh, Subscribe wherever you're getting your podcast. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Check out the video version of the show over on YouTube. And then, of course, patreon.com slash top rope nation the link is here in the description you can get bonus content from us extra shows each and every week that we're doing exclusively for patreon so justin and kyle it's been real thank you my friends we'll be talking soon everyone have a good weekend a good night whenever you are listening to this and we will catch you real soon take care The cult of personality I know your anger I know your dreams I've been everything you wanna be Oh, I'm the cult of personality Like Mussolini and Kennedy I'm the cult of personality the cult of personality, the cult of personality. Get ahead of the postage rate increases this year with stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com code PROGRAM.